Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. Thank you very much for joining me today. This is Benjamin, your host here. In today's episode, we are spending time with a representative of the Hearst Castle. And he speaks to us in how it all got started in 1865 by George Hearst and the history leading up to William Randolph Hearst. He gives us a cursory tour of the mansion, the gardens, the terraces, and the walkways and so forth. He also speaks of the woman architect that brought it all into fruition for Mr. Hearst. You will also be interested in the restoration and preservation program that is ongoing today. My guest is the Director of Marketing and Communications as well as our curator today, let's welcome this one history-committed fellow, James Allen. The Hearst Castle is, of course, a museum unlike any other. It's a historical landmark located on the central coast of California. Um, the architecture is a Mediterranean revival style that captures the feeling of a Mediterranean uh, villa. And I've been there a few times, Jim, and it's known for its history, it's known for its art, and, of course, its opulence. And Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jim, and then we'll jump into the, the inception of the Hearst Castle back in 1865, if you would be so kind. Sure, Benjamin. Uh, my name is James Allen, and I've been at Hearst Castle since 1988 in a variety of different roles. Mm-hmm. Always fascinated with the place. My parents took me there as a child, and I always cherished the memories of it. I was on a different career path for some years and uh, Mm -hmm. had some friends that moved up to the area and I reconnected with, uh, with Hearst Castle. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to get a job up there for the summer as a tour guide and see how that goes. And uh, 33 years later, I'm still at it and having a terrific time. I'm currently the director of sales, marketing and public relations, which means I interact with the travel industry at the wholesale and other levels. I work with the press, mm-hmm. the media, and um, other tasks as assigned, like many of us. There you go. That's, that's admirable. I, I appreciate it. As I indicated, I, I've been there a few times, and, um, and it's really, uh, I mean, I'm astounded by the, 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 the home there, or the castle, and, and everything that goes with, along with it. But tell us, um, the, the history, I know, as I indicated, it had its start in 1865 by George Hearst. And tell us about this man's history and how he amassed his wealth, if you would be so kind, Jim. Certainly. Yeah, George Hearst was from the Midwest, actually. But we call the Midwest now. In 1820, when he was born, was called the Western Frontier. Yes, it was. And uh, as a young man, something called the, the Gold Rush beckoned and uh, he headed out west. He had done some mining as a young man, like a lot of people uh, growing up at that time in the United States. There was very little formal education available, but Mm. there was uh, opportunities to learn about lead mining and copper mining where he lived. And he took that knowledge and skills set and uh, headed out west. And despite many uh, obstacles he had to overcome, uh, he did 
established himself as one of the most successful miners and ranchers in the western United States. Mm -hmm. uh, he had uh, partial ownership, important claims on uh, involved in the Comstock Lode in Nevada, the Ontario Silver Mine in Utah, Home State Gold Mine in South Dakota, the Anaconda Copper Mine in Montana. These were right. among the largest mining discoveries <clears throat> in American history, still to date. And he uh, purchased some land for ranching. And uh, as you said, in 1865, the family and the corporation still own that land and are still uh, cattle ranching on it. But he, uh, he would bring his, his wife and his son to that hilltop to go camping and enjoy the great out of doors. And uh, he and his wife, Phoebe, only had one child, William Randolph Hearst, who would later go on to inherit those lands and build the sprawling estate that we know today as Hearst Castle. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, uh, you indicated it's still a, a working ranch. Uh, I uh, read here, what, 150 years now into the, um, the operation of uh, providing beef. So that's, uh, that's interesting to me. Now, uh, Hearst, uh, William Hearst, uh, he conceived this retreat uh, and uh, called it, uh, and I'm going to give you a Spanish quiz here, La, La, La Cuesta Encantada. What, what does that mean in Spanish for my listenership? <laughs> well, he, that's, that means the enchanted hill. And I'll tell you, I've seen been up there at times where it is truly enchanting, whether it's the natural mm -hmm. environment, seeing the sunsets up there, the views of the Pacific Ocean, the surrounding Santa Lucia Mountains, the buildings, the architecture, the art, the gardens. It really is an enchanting environment. Yeah, well, that name was appropriate, okay. Um, uh, so please provide us the, the website um, for our listenership. As we talk along, they can look at, at, the, uh, at the mansion. And if you would be so kind and give us a, a, a cursory tour uh, of the mansion, uh, Jim. Sure, you can learn more and get updates about Hearst Castle at hearstcastle.org. And I'll just spell it H-E-A-R-S-T, and then conventional spelling castle, all one word, dot O-R-G. And there it gives you all kinds of rich resources about the tours we offer, um, the history of the place, the history of who made it come alive during its heyday and how you can come up and enjoy that enchantment today as well. So the castle is a complex that sits on a hilltop about 1,600 feet above sea level, as I mentioned, overlooking the ocean. It's uh, about five miles from where our visitor center is, where the parking uh, visitor services, like uh, we have an IMAX theater and food and beverage and retail and so forth and exhibits there. But as you come to visit, you board a bus uh, right up to the hilltop for a guided tour and learn about Mr. Hersensen and the state and the various people who made it come to life. Uh, the main house is an impressive scale. It's about 65,000 square feet on five levels. It's 38 bedroom, 42 bath, 14 living rooms, two libraries, a movie theater, sprawling basement as well. There's three guest houses dotting the hillsides, two swimming pools, an indoor and outdoor pool, tennis courts. It's really a dream house. It's just what one man wanted to conceive and did on this extraordinary hilltop in this beautiful part of California, about midway between San Francisco and Los Angeles, right on scenic Highway 1. Mm -hmm. 
Very good. So uh, could you uh, kind of give us a, a walk through the, uh, the walkways and the terraces and just kind of a general uh, view as if we're there, uh, Jim? Yeah. So it's largely undeveloped around the castle itself. Uh-huh. Rolling hills this time of the year in the winter when we get some rains, it's a green, deep lush green. Uh, otherwise, in summertime, it's more of a golden brown, the rolling hills, peaks and rocky outcroppings. But as you make your way up, you gradually get into semi-formalized gardens. We planted thousands of trees. It was a rather rocky area. There, there's native trees. There's coast live oaks, big leaf maples and others, but he planted thousands of trees. And gradually as you get to the very top of the hill, then there's formal landscaping, Mediterranean style landscaping, which as you pointed out means there are terraces. In other words, sort of a, a stair-stepping, making your way to the top of this knoll. Yes. There's, uh, as I mentioned, three guest houses that dot the hillsides that almost look like the homes of a hilltop village in Spain or Italy. And then the main house, called Casa Grande, appropriately, the big house, uh, is at the very top center of the hill, uh, shaped almost like a cathedral, uh, has a main plaza in front of it. So it's almost like, a, if you can imagine, a little Renaissance village in a remote area of Southern Europe recreated in San Simeon, California. But as you go through the house, there's a variety of rooms. Uh, many of the rooms my entire house would fit into. Some of the sprawling living rooms, dining halls, movie theaters are in excess of 2,000 or 2,500 square feet. And they're chocked full of not only fine art, like paintings, sculpture, tapestries, but mm -hmm. really, really rich decorative arts like antique carved ceilings, fireplaces, doorways, and various treatments that are equally impressive. Yes. We offer a variety of tours that explore different parts of the estate because it, we find most people are up for an hour or two's walk, but to really see the whole house would take a, a full day. Mm. My goodness. I know I was astounded by the, uh, the eclectic collection of art. And uh, could you speak to some of that specifically? Jim? Yeah, he was uh, an avid art collector. He started at age 10 collecting art when his mother took him on a what's called the Grand Tour of Europe. He traveled for about a year. He was fascinated by the rich history of Europe, the museums, the historic homes. And he would gradually amass a huge collection of art that would be donated to museums during his lifetime. Uh, also that would decorate various sumptuous homes like Hearst Castle. He had several homes on this scale, not just here at San Simeon, but this is the only one that's open to the public today to explore. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the, uh, the scope of the collections, the variety, as you mentioned, uh, he emphasized he was really not trying to recreate a particular time period or place um, a lot of the Mediterranean art was very popular at that time and uh, easily available from the art auction houses of New York, London, Rome, Paris. 
And he really just wanted to create an environment that would delight his guests. Mm-hmm. He had many, many different guests from different walks of life at the house, but he just wanted to create something delightful. It wasn't an attempt to make it look like Spain or Italy or France, although most of the art is from those locations or is influenced by those places. There are some pieces that are truly masterpieces that are, for example, there is a uh, a sculpture, a full-size sculpture of the goddess Venus that was created by Antonio Canova Mm -hmm. uh, that you can see on the Grand Rooms tour. It, it was made in the uh, early 1800s. It's carved marble and very, very human lifelike. It was originally commissioned by a Russian aristocrat, but he never finalized the purchase. Oh. So Napoleon's brother, Lucian, actually bought the statue. And after some time, he sold it to the first Marquess of Lansdowne, who's a renowned English art collector. And it stayed in the fa- that family for several generations. Until about 1930, when some of their art was auctioned off and Mr. Hurst purchased those sculptures along, along with other Roman pieces, and some are in Hearst Castle, some are in other museums in the United States. So art was something that played a significant role in his life. He was fascinated with it. And that's one of the nice things about visiting Hearst Castle is there's a, a story behind the person, behind the place, in every room. It's immersed with a rich, fascinating story it is yeah i've always been fascinated every time i've gone it's uh it's really uh it's amazing you know and i and i think about the architect uh, can you speak to the architect that uh, william hearst hired for the construction of the mansion yeah that's really timely i noticed that we're talking in march of 2021 right now oh. and march is women's history month um, <laughs> okay. and so uh it's really important to talk a little bit about absolutely Leo Morgan who was a real pioneer in uh, for in architecture and mm-hmm. uh, she graduated first with a degree in civil engineering from University of California Berkeley which was not common for women uh, mm-hmm. she was encouraged by several of her instructors to fulfill her dreams to be an architect there were no she, she grew up in, in San Francisco, Oakland area. There were no colleges that offered mm-hmm. architecture programs at that time in the area. So she applied in Paris, France, to one of the most prestigious schools of architecture at the time, Le Col de Bois. Mm. And they had never admitted a woman before. She had to endure these vigorous exams and failed the first time, failed the second time, and then through some of connections with her uh, uh, college instructors, found yeah. out that they were purposefully failing her because they oh, wanted boy. to discourage women. Oh, so man. this only encouraged her more to work oh. harder. Absolutely. And yeah. the, uh, the hard work paid off. And indeed mm-hmm. she was admitted. She had to move to France first and learn French because all the instruction was in French. Yes. And she would go on to create over 700 buildings mostly in California during her career. She was very, very accomplished and prolific, fascinating woman. She was, she was a very, uh, very much so. I, I, in reading up a little bit about her, yeah, California, also in Hawaii, she uh, 
um, put some projects together. And uh, so how, how long did it take her to, uh, to work on this project? How many years was, was it involved here to, in this project of the Hearst Castle? Almost 30 years. Is that right? They started in 1919 with a conversation mm-hmm. in her office up in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And they started putting in the road about 1919 to go up the hill. And by 1920, they were working on the foundations for the guest houses. And it would continue, sometimes on and off. For example, during the war years, during World War II, when materials were difficult to come by. There were actually some uh, incursions from the Axis powers on the West Coast. There were some attacks Mm. uh, that a lot of people don't know about that occurred in uh, Washington state and along the coast in California and even quite close to California. Yes. There were some Japanese submarines that sank some uh, merchant oil vessels just right adjacent to where Hearst Castle is. So mm-hmm. not much construction taking place during the war years, blackout curtains on the house um, at nighttime. Yes. But uh, picked it up again after the war years. So about 1919, mm-hmm. To 1947-48 is the span over which the design and construction of the castle took place. And it was really a collaboration between the builder and the architect in the respect that, though they were both very busy, both Miss Morgan and Mr. Hurst, they corresponded in, with an impressive volume, nearly 10,000 letters and telegrams they exchanged over time. Uh, often... They wouldn't be together at the castle at the same time. They were at times, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was really, really a unique collaboration and quite a dedication to the pursuit of this dream. Yes. Well, that's interesting. I know uh, she was, uh, she was very talented. Um, I can tell you that. And uh... We are having an informative visit with the Director of Marketing and Communications, and he is communicating to us how important it is to preserve this historical landmark on the central coast of California, known as the Hearst Castle. Let's get back to James Allen. Of course, uh, William Hearst had a, also an, an affinity for, uh, for Hollywood, um, and uh, can you give us some names on, on, from Hollywood that graced uh, the mansion during those years, Jim? Yeah, the, the guests really, the guest list mm. read like a who's who of Hollywood and politics, <laughs> yeah, yeah. journalists, literary figures, yeah. art experts. But you asked about the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Some of the names people might oh, recognize yeah. would be you know, John Barrymore, Charlie Chaplin, Gary Cooper, Joan Crawford, Douglas Fairbanks, mm-hmm. Clark Gable, Greta Garbo, Cary Grant, Gene Harlow, Harold Lloyd, you know, the list goes on and on. David Nevin, uh, and people that were not only actors, but also people like uh, Louis B. Mayer that were producers and owned uh, film production companies and so forth, as did Mr. Hurst. He also owned uh, several film production companies. Yeah. I know uh, William Hurst got involved with uh, uh, the media, the newspaper, and so forth. I, I uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? I, uh, I couldn't read uh, read up too much on that, but uh, tell us about his uh, involvement in the media as, as a magnet. Yeah, he had an interest 
early in life in mm -hmm. newspapers. Yes. His father, George, actually had uh, a small newspaper, which we now know as the San Francisco Examiner. Yes. And after uh, coaxing his father, he was a college student at the time attending Harvard University, he really became interested in journalism and wanted his own little newspapers to make his own. And he got the San Francisco Examiner in the late 1880s. That would be the first of a chain of newspapers that would gradually span the entire country and yeah. over time the entire globe. At one point he had 93 media businesses around mm -hmm. the world, newspapers, magazines, radio, even early television. He owned one of the first TV stations in the United States and it's still on the air today at WBAL Baltimore. Mm -hmm. uh, and the company is still very much thriving. It's a huge uh, media conglomerate today. And uh, yeah, everything from uh, right. radio, you know, radio was really, really like the computers of today, the internet of today. It was the, it was the high tech of the time. And um, right. really connected the world with, with live presentations of uh, things like war reporting, um, presidential inaugurations, filming them, and then also had distribution syndication mm. companies that would, you know, the, the principle of why send 10 different newspapers to uh, an event across the world, you know, somewhere many, many miles away, you send one reporter who then creates the, the report or takes the film, whatever the case may be, and then makes that available to multiple news outlets. Mm. Did that with cartoons as well. And that company is still thriving called King Features Syndicates, mm. which is still in business like today. That. Amazing. I'm old enough, um, Jim, to remember the uh, the incident there with his, I guess it was a granddaughter, right? Patty Hearst? I think it was a That's right. Patty Hearst was, yeah. Mr. Hearst had five sons. Uh, his last two sons, the youngest sons were twins. Yes. And one of those sons was Patty Hearst's father. Now, of course, Patty Hearst was born a couple of years after William Randolph Hearst died, so they never met uh -huh. or knew each other. But yeah, she was abducted in, uh, I'm gonna say the early 1970s yes. by yes. a kind of a radical terrorist group and oh, yeah. elder hostage yeah. and real, real bad, bad situation. But uh, yes. yeah. she's gone on to live a interesting life and married and has had a family that's now grown to adulthood and she's mm -hmm. done some acting herself and mm. a lot of philanthropic work and overcame all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was kind of interesting how they played out, you know, and uh, yeah, but I do remember that. <clears throat> it was very interesting to me. Would you be so kind and tell us uh, about the restoration and the preservation of the mansion there and how we as a public can, can help out a little bit, Jim? Sure. There's about 20,000 objects at Hearst Castle. My goodness. Okay. That's a lot to take care of, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of it is quite old. The oldest objects are over 3,000, between three and 4,000 years old. And the, mm. the newest objects would have been from contemporary to the time of the construction. So from Art Deco to ancient Egypt and everything in between. And of mm. course, it's the castle was donated by the Hearst Corporation back in the late 1950s to the people of California as a gift. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's funding from state government 
for the conservation and preservation of the architecture and art and gardens. But we also have a nonprofit organization, a 501c3 called the Foundation at Hearst Castle, okay. which uh, the public can become a member. They have a website at uh, foundation at hearstcastle.com. And they go into detail about what they do to help support uh, the programs at Hearst Castle and also inspire young people, future generations, future uh, professionals in mm -hmm. any, uh, any realm. We want to, mm -hmm. they bring up kids, pay for them to come here, especially underprivileged, or I should say underrepresented uh, youth <clears throat> and show them the story of how these people worked together and overcame one obstacle after the next to achieve mm -hmm. their dreams. And they work to uh, help inspire those children to go on in the future, however they wish, whatever they wish to pursue, to think about yeah. how they can overcome obstacles too and achieve their dreams and goals. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the old adage, you know, if it can be perceived, it can be achieved. And there it is, you know. So uh, the castle was donated, you said, in the late uh, 50s. And are there any public restrictions in the use of the mansion? Yeah, when the, when the mansion was donated, it was accompanied by a document called a gift deed, which is rather long and detailed. But the spirit of it essentially is that the castle is to be used uh, for interpreting its history and the people associated with it and operated as a museum rather than as a, uh, a hotel or a public swimming pool or all yes. the things that are very tempting for people to think about how much fun it would be to have a swim in the pool or sleep there at night or really live the dream and be a guest mm -hmm. of the castle. We try to recreate that with people's imaginations while they're there to see it. But yeah. uh, in order to preserve, you know, the furniture is, most of the furniture is, 300 to 600 years old. So of course oh my. it's yeah. not the kind of thing you could no. use with any regularity and not have a negative impact on it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, uh, in your observation, um, Jim, uh, which is the most uh, popular tour? If I may ask that. Sure. We have a, a variety of tours. There's a menu mm -hmm. of them on the website at hearstcastle.org. But one of the most popular ones is called mm -hmm. the Grand Rooms Tour. Mm -hmm. And that one gives you a good overview of the estate, understanding the history of what the place is, how it came to be. You'll see some of the really impressive, I'll call them community rooms, the rooms where the guests would gather, like one of the main living rooms, the dining hall, movie theater, um, morning room where people came in the morning for their coffee and breakfast and to read the paper and see the gardens and the terraces, walkways, the swimming pools, the tennis courts. You have a sense of what the place was and how it was used. So that yes. Grand Rooms tour, that includes the parking, admission to the visitor center, admission to the IMAX theater where we show a specially produced 40-minute film about Hearst Castle, how it was created, what inspired it. The bus ride up to the hilltop, the guided tour. Um, it's, it's a whole package, about three hours time yeah. Uh, yeah, for the Grand Rooms tour. It's, it's yeah. very popular. Yeah, I, I've taken that tour and it was fascinating. I mean, it really was for me. 
and uh, I've taken that and uh, see how many tours are there five or six how many tours are there in total well you know in we're in the right now while we're recording this we're still in the middle of the pandemic yes, so yes, how yes. when we reopen I'm not yes. certain how many we'll be offering or uh-huh. what the formats will be but seasonally we have quite a variety of tours uh-huh. um, okay. I'm gonna say close to a dozen oh, special my. tours some of them are just in the spring or the fall or the evenings mm-hmm. or uh, holiday periods or um, special tours for people with special needs vision impaired physically yeah, in need in need of access, special accessibility but uh, the basic menu of tours is the grand rooms tour the upstairs mm-hmm. suites tour that shows the upper center floors of the house mm-hmm. the kitchens and cottages tour that goes into well the kitchen and the guest cottages and yes. wine cellar and other places and those are offered pretty consistently year round but we're just before uh, the events of a year ago the COVID came to be, we were just about ready to celebrate our 100th anniversary of the castle having been started in uh, 1920, and mm-hmm. here we were in 2020. Yes. But we had some special tours designed to celebrate that and explore some of those details in a little more depth. And not certain yet whether those kind of tours will be available, but there's going to be some special exhibits in the visitor center and. Lots to see and do and enjoy. That's great. That's really great. So I, I think very soon things will break loose and where we can get back to enjoying history there on the, in the Enchanted Hill. Um, Jim, can, can you speak to the importance of preserving history for future generations? That's a really good question. You know, we live in a world that yes. gradually is just changing so quickly, just mind-boggling changes in every part of our life and technology and equipment. And it seems like as soon as you get something, it's obsolete and we need to move on to the next thing. And it seems like in a world where you have to change with the times or get left behind, why should we concern ourselves with the past Mm -hmm. and history? So it's an important question to consider. And I think it's History is important for a variety of reasons, in part because it connects us to specific times and places and events that are significant to our collective past, to our culture. Yes. The ability to revisit those preserved objects and locations and so forth create a sense of continuity and sense of place between our past and present. Absolutely. It's important to maintain and celebrate just the beauty and pride of our history as well and foster an appreciation of um, our heritage. And as I said, it's, it's really an opportunity to inspire current and future generations to dream big, focus on objectives rather than obstacles, and to persevere and, and overcome those things in your life. Absolutely. Yeah, it does speak to Having the tenacity, you know, to realize your dreams like that. And, uh, yeah, I like that very much, Jim. So how can my audience reach out to the uh, Hearst Castle to find out the latest tours and when things might break loose a little bit here? Well, our website is hearstcastle.org, H-E-A-R-S-T-C-A-S-T-L-E, all one word, dot org. You can give us a call toll-free at 
444-4445. And of course, we have a presence on social media as well that you can find easy with searches. Absolutely. Good. Mm -hmm. All those sources, pardon me, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say all those sources will give you the latest up-to-date information about uh, the tours that we offer, public access, the history of the castle, beautiful photographs, Mm -hmm. uh, very inspirational and and worth a look. Yes, very good. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Jim, I want to thank you for being on board with your lot and parcel today. And uh, and I'm sure that my listenership uh, will enjoy what you have to say and uh, appreciate and admire your dedication, Jim. And I, and I want you to keep up the good work. All right. Benjamin, thank you for having me on today and inviting me to talk to your audience. We look forward to the time we can welcome the public back at Hearst Castle. Thank you very much. For you listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at yourlotandparcel.com. And now, if you would excuse me. This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtown. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com. 